You're listening to the I Love You Keep Going podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.m-e-t-t-a-g-r-o-u-p.org. So welcome, everybody. This is I Love You Keep Going. It's January 26, 2023 at 7.39 p.m. Pacific Time. And I uh, have uh, finished a new book called Punch Outs. I, I think that you've probably heard me talk about uh, Tajapanati. Um, Tajapanati is a Pali word that means, Taja means to reflect backwards or to reflect back. And Panati is a Pali word that means conceptual reality. So to reflect back on the conceptual reality that you've created to see if it accurately matches the ultimate reality that you've experienced. So ultimate reality is the raw sensing data that we take in through our senses, uh, touching, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and mind. In the West, we don't consider mind necessarily. And in the way that we construct these um, concepts, this is quite different than the Western concept of the experience of reality. So going back to Aristotle, who uh, thought that if you were a seeing person or with what senses you have, you take in the experience of the outside world and you create internally a working model of what that world represents and you're taking in of that information from the outside world is pretty neutral and pretty complete. And so that we just all create these reliable working models of what's out there in front of us based on our sensing experience. And that that we then operate from the internal map that we make about the outside world, but that the, the experience of making that map is a fairly accurate representation of what's out there, which means that uh, ordinarily you have a fairly similar take on what's happening that other people have. Uh, we would call that a, a non-mentalizing mode of psychic equivalence. Later on, about 300 years later or so, Epicurus uh, modified that to say that if you had a strong emotional state happening while you were taking in the material from the outside and forming your working model, it could have an effect on the way that you created the model, but that it was still largely accurate. In Buddhist thought and in, in Asian thought, this isn't actually what we're talking about at all. What we're talking about is the mind gathering bits of data from the outside world, uh, evaluating them, creating a model of what's there, not based on an, a general survey and an accurate uh, sampling, but on a, a very curated sampling of what's meaningful to us, and then assigning the meaning that we we have for that curated list, creating a model and then projecting it outward, and that it's actually our internal model that we've projected outward that we see as the world outside of us. Is that making sense? So the fundamental difference is in the West, we tend to think that we take in a, a general survey of what's out there and create a working model. And uh, so it's an outward in approach, whereas in the Buddhist thought, it's 
we take in the data, we create the experience of reality and we push it out. So it's an inward out model. Sometimes you hear expressions of live life as if, if it were a dream coming from the Eastern side of things to understand that we largely make up the experience that we're having and we uh, assign the meanings that we have for the kinds of experiences that we're having, that that's how we uh, understand what's actually happening. When, when I encountered this uh, as a teaching, it, it, it immediately resonated with me that I was creating the, this experience that I was having because my experience was so at odds with uh, other people's experiences, particularly growing up in the household that I did. Uh, um, you know, I had a pair of gaslighting uh, parents who both told me that my perception of what was happening was not real and wasn't happening. And it created a very uh, sort of choppy understanding of how to understand my experience. Um, so with this basic premise, we also often talk, and I know that when I teach, uh, for instance, loving kindness practice, I talk about people who are auditory centered in terms of their uh, understanding things of things and uh, visually oriented. So auditory thinkers or visual thinkers. One of the things that I noticed in teaching um, meditation is we're very auditory centric in the way that we teach this and that we're not really attending to visual thinkers very well. We don't really have much in the way of material that, that can be useful to somebody who's primarily a visual thinker and understanding this. They have to translate almost always an auditory or language-based system into a visual system to try and understand what we're talking about. So I thought that it might be interesting to try and, and um, take some photographs that were representative of uh, the teaching in a way that would cause the understanding of this process to be described in photographs and that people could look at the photographs and then the mindset of Tajapanati, the mindset of this inquiry into the nature of reality would arise in the mind so that they could have a direct experience of that if they weren't able to understand it uh, through language only. And then um, I was curious to see whether auditory thinkers could then uh, investigate through visual representations of what I was talking about uh, in uh, pictures and also then have the experience of that. Is that making sense? So the experience of the mind engaged actively in questioning whether or not the way that you've understood the visual experience is actually what's there. Tajapanati. Make sense? So I thought I would test it out on you and see whether or not you can have that experience. Um, <clears throat> so this is the, the opening photograph of the, the book. What is that? Yeah. Oops. 
what is what? Can you see the picture that I'm sending? No. Yeah. Yeah, we can see it. Or I can see it. Punch outs. Something what is, is it what a carnival is... attraction? <laughs> we just lost George. We did. Yeah. All right, let's see what's happening here. Hopefully he's back. There he goes. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Try and share this again. It worked in rehearsal. It doesn't seem to be working now. It was working for me. Yeah, I saw it. Here we go. Is this just part of your trick, George? What? The whole losing the signal and not knowing what's happening thing is a part of the teaching. All right. Can you see it now? <clears throat> what is this picture of? Oh. In color. Well, there's a hedge. Yeah. There's a hedge in there. And there's. Sorry about that. For some reason, it's not liking this, but we'll try one more time. And... That's great. So can I explain to you what it is? Yeah. This is a, a Del Taco. This, this is a stripe of neon around the edge of the Del Taco. And uh -huh. this is the... Uh, roof line of the house next to it <laughs> so you can near your house the uh rafters here and the the um is that making sense what about this one what's that a city is is it a chemical plant it is. It's Chemical plant. The refinery in uh, Torrance. Torrance, where's that? In, it's south of LA. There's oh. one big gasoline refinery. Oh, it's very wow. pretty. Thank you. So I now, say it's, oh, there it is. go ahead. I was going to say it looks like a 90s album cover or 2000s album cover. I don't know what it is though. This one is easier. What is that? <clears throat> Palm trees. Yeah. Looks like Echo Park. And then this. What do you notice about this in comparison, comparing the images? One's foggy. Or right. foggier. And one's greener. They're both in LA. Yeah. I don't know. Did one have a fire? No. Uh, one is the they're they're largely the same image. This tree here uh -huh. is the same as this tree here. Hmm. Uh, uh -huh. These palms here are the same as these palms here. Uh -huh. This part is not included in this part. This photograph and this part isn't included in this one. Mm 
about this one. I feel like your commentary is starting to come through, George. <laughs> what do you make of this one? So it's, it's the idea is like same place, but different perspectives. Well, can you, can the mind make this into one building pretty easily? Maybe, but it's boring. It's boring? Why is it boring? It's just repetitive and not very creative or colorful. What would you like? So this is the, 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 um, this is the statement that I made earlier, that we look at the environment and we cherry pick things that are high on our preference list. And if there isn't a lot of things that are high on our preference list, we tend to not be interested in the, the, uh, the, uh, what's in front of us. So the mind is always grasping toward things that are of interest to us and uh, rejecting things that are not of interest. So, so is the point of your art here to get us to see that, like how our own mind is kind of grasping and creating or bored or liking or disliking? So is, it, is your art kind of, kind of like a tool for that? An aspect of that. But what I really want you to notice is whether the mind can make that into one large building or do you see it distinctly as the same image repeated? Oh. I cannot see two buildings. I see one building. I see two different ones. Two different I see, buildings. I see the image re repeated just with a slightly different focus. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's two different images, but from a slightly different, um, whatever it's called, photography. So this end of the image is one end of the building, and this image is another end of the building. Right. So the full length of the building is visible, but not in, in either one of the images. Right. What about this one? Hmm. Is that a single uh, panoramic view? Or is it a repetition of three images? And can the mind make that into one single panoramic view? Or do you see it distinctly as three images th that are sort of repeated? Repeated. Snapshots repeated. I can kind of see the middle and the left one connecting, like the the tree on the right side of the left one connecting a little bit into the tree on the left side of the middle picture. But I can also see that it seems to be the same group of trees in each photo. So Tajipanani, the word means that you're constantly comparing and making sure that the representation that you make of the visual experience is an accurate representation. So in this particular series, if you follow the upper part of the photograph along, it's easy to make it into a continuous landscape. But if you notice that the repetition of the trees is too similar, it causes the mind to actively engage in the question of, is this a panorama or is this a single image repeated? Is that the experience that you're having? And what does that tell us about our perception it, that the mind can create a, a uniform panoramic out of the mm -hmm. same image repeated mm -hmm. that it can be as convincing that it's a single uh, panorama 
and not the repetition of three images, which is pointing to the nature of the mind to gather these snapshots, these punch outs, I like to call them, from the environment and then assemble them seamlessly so that it creates the perception of the, the landscape in front of you, even though you're not doing an in-depth and neutral survey of what's in front of you, you're just collecting the things that are uh, um, on your preference list. I have a bit of a oscillation from one to the other, you know, it like separates. This is reminding me of your, um, your twilight meditation that you used to prescribe. Right. So good. It, it isn't that you're supposed to go one way or the other. It's supposed to, you're supposed to get trapped in the process of constantly testing to make sure that the way that you've represented uh, your experience is actually what's happening. That's the idea. Anyway, let's have a look. So this one is more directly that experience. You're taking various snapshots. So in all of the imagery, you're gathering different perspectives of the same experience. Can you then assemble them into a wider experience of the whole image? Or does the mind remain in the, the specific uh, uh, expressions? Is that making sense? So yeah. in this image, you have the, the building that's down here so that you have all of this data about this particular thing that you could then add over here. And then you have the top of the tree here, which is the same top of the tree here, the more central part, which is giving the, the data of above the, the Capitol Tower building. So you have that there. So in some sense, it's the way that the mind moves gathering its pieces of information and then coming together to form the image as a whole. Can you extend that out so that it becomes a continuous landscape? Even though the images are quite distinctly different because the colors are so similar, does that create a sense of panorama? One thing that's throwing me is the um, the gap between the images, so that in my um, conceptualization ends up forcing them to be separate images, and it's harder. If I sit back, I can kind of let it blur out and imagine it's one panorama, but it's a hard hard because of the white line in the middle. Good. What's that? It looks like a, a large building under construction uh, in back of a historic building. Hmm. Yes, that's a church. That's quite that's that's totally right. Again, we have this five samplings or uh, four sam five samplings of the same vista, each image having a different set of information. 
and then you create in your mind uh, a representation of the whole experience of the panorama or do they remain single images they are they do you see do you experience them as sequential even though they're not sequential i like i like the dislocation of the the rightmost three images kind of keep implying that they're going to keep going and then there's like a dislocation with the leftmost two that's kind of cool So again, these two distinct snapshots of the same view, really, slightly different. The tree is the same. This building behind the tree is the same. In the first image, it ends there, and then you have all of this extra data. Can you then combine the two of them to create a wider panorama? Or this one? It's easy to allow that to blend in one long building with three trees. I think I could do that if it weren't the white lines between that really make it separate like their slides. But right. if the, yeah, if the white line was gone, I could make it into one. But otherwise, from my perceptual mechanism, it always wants to see them as separate slides. After seeing a few of these, I'm I'm like uh, intrigued by the movement of the photographer, like the perspective <laughs> holder itself. Hmm. What about this one? Reese. Following the top edge, does that look like a continuous mountain range? Is it? Or the bottom? That one's easier to see as a continuous mountain range to me. Yeah, this this seems like the most one in those terms is it that you're trying to encourage us to see it that way i'm trying to encourage you to question how the mind is assembling the visual experience so that you can have the active experience of the mind creating a reality and pulling it back and creating a reality and pulling it back by the constant act the constant questioning whether the way that you've created the experience is actually an accurate representation of what's happening. Mm. That making sense? A little bit. Now, what about, do you see them as the same image or as different images? Different. And do you see them as, this, as the same view unfolding? Mm. Two aspects of the same view? Parts of them overlap, but not the exact same. I spotted the so this part of the image. I think once I noticed the this illuminated one, awning, this part of the image and the other. Yeah, huh? I, I saw that repeating. And again. Is it possible to connect the elements of this one to elements of that one and imagine that it's a, a panorama that goes all the way across the two images? Or do they look very distinct? Different. 
this. They look the same, but different frames and different darkness. There's no way that the mind then connects. This is all a, a wide uh, landscape. Panoramic. Well, I'm not getting that so far. What's mm. that? Fast car. <laughs> or wind. I don't know. Wind and ocean on the fast car. Reminds me of the Baylands. The what? The Baylands up here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, yeah, this is actually um, the Presidio. Hmm. And this, <clears throat> can you assemble that as one compound? Mm -hmm. Maybe a little easier with those three. This building is the same as this one. The same as this one. Is there any skill to seeing it? Or, I mean, is, it is that a desirable quality from? Well, have right <clears throat> we have a tendency to get into the habit of fixating things and making them solid. And so we rely on that sense of solidness. So we make a table and then we touch the table. And then because the table feels hard, it reinforces our version that we've created the image, the experience that we're having as an accurate representation of what's there. And what we want to be able to do is pull that apart and bring it back and pull it apart and bring it back so that we can be actively engaged in checking the representations that we're making are actually uh, um, what's there. You reference the twilight meditation where you allow the light to dim in the visual field. The first thing that you notice, uh, and that the way that meditation goes is you sit in a room that has natural light at dusk and allow the light to diminish. The first thing that you'll notice uh, if there's no light source in there is that the image moves from a color image to a black and white image because it takes more light to activate the cones in the eyes than the rods in the cones. The cones see color, the rods see contrast and edge. As the light dims and there's not enough quite to activate the rods, then the, the mind creates variations on the edges that it's seeing in front of you, but it creates them as these representations of solid images. And so what you'll notice is that the whole visual field goes in flux and uh, the, the mind is uh, trying to figure out what's actually there. And so it keeps throwing up versions of what it thinks is there and creates these representations that look perfectly solid the way anything looks solid in visual experience, even though you know that it doesn't rep represent the experience of the room that you're having. And so what I was trying to do with these images is put these elements together so that the mind could flow in and out of these representations of individual images and then uh, landscape. 
so that if you're, uh, I think, on the side where you're habitually making things solid and not reinterpreting them, uh, the take on the initial take that you make on them will be pretty much what the experience of them is, and that you want to then move to a place where you can open up to a more flowy sense of the visual field. George, as the as the artist yourself, do you find a certain tendency in the way that you see them, or is the effect not really present because you 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 know you've seen behind the curtain? No, I I actually pick them because it's easy for me to to move back and forth between the the, the connected and the disconnected experience of them, like this. So following this one, can you make that hillside into one hillside that continues the whole way? That one's can easy. Can you make this line continue all the way? Yes, that one's easy. Can you make this block of building connect to this block of building? Yes. Even though this is the same building repeated? Yeah. Yeah, that's the first one that I've been able to do it. Good. Am I, am I improving? <laughs> am I yes. getting it? Can you, do you imagine this as three sailboats on the bay? Can Maybe. you? Mm -hmm. Or is it simply the same sailboat three times? It depends. Can you imagine that this is uh, a continuous element here, these two? blending into each other, creating one image here, mm -hmm. then another, and then coming back. So noticing that the mind blends these two, and then there's the other element of information that comes in, but it can carry through in this aspect of the visual experience and also tie into this aspect. So the whole thing can become a visual representation of a collection of information that we then have a meaning and an understanding of, even though the images aren't connected in that way. Or this, what do you make of that? It's blurry. <laughs> it is that. Oh, it, is, it is blurry. <laughs> it is. What is it? Boats on a, on a body of water by a volcano. Right. It doesn't, you know, that this is a mountainside, even though the colors are completely wrong to recognize that as a mount, mountain. And does this boat look like it's in the water, just floating in space, tacked on there? In the water. In the water. How do you assign information to it? Because of the color of the water. So none of these things are actually very representational of it, but you've you've created because this boat is clear enough that all of these spots here must be other boats. So your mind has manufactured the experience boat out of this very limited vision. If you didn't have this, oh, I can't see that. If you didn't have the, this boat, would you know what this was or this? So the mind takes information and then assigns meaning to things in the rest of the image. And then you understand it based on that. What about this one? 
Can you see this is a continuous hilltop that runs through the four images mm -hmm. pretty well? Then mm -hmm. you check the sky, you see that actually that's not what's happening. This house is the same as this house is the same as this house. This house is the same as that house. So it's all the same image, but you can let the mind uh, uh, create it into a hilltop pretty easily. This one's a little easier because if you follow the, the uh, line of the hills, they line up. And it looks like this hilltop is flowing across the whole image so that you can imagine it as a, a panorama that exists there. But this image is the same as this image is the same as this image. This house is the same as this house. This, is that making sense? This bush here is actually this bush and this bush. It's all the same. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And are you having the experience of Tajanati where you're able to assemble it and then the mind picks it apart and is checking to see whether it's an accurate representation or not? Mm -hmm. So you can learn something visually by looking at the images that would have that are intended to invoke an experience without the experience having to be described to you in words, is that making sense? But the act of looking at the image is enough to create the experience, which is what we're trying often to describe, which is that you take in the information and then create the experience of the world from it. George, I don't know if this is jumping yeah. the gun, but um, it, what what's the connection to this recognition and um, understanding mentalizing, if that's what you're pointing at, maybe. I'm actually pointing more at uh, aspects of an enlightened or an awakened mind. Okay. But when we get the, the solidly identified with the version of reality that we're creating, based on the information that we take in, and we, we uh, come into a solid identification with the sense of self, and we think that these things are real and need to be defended. If we can have the insight that we're taking in the data, and the data has, we have preferences for data, and we don't take in the data that we don't like, that we don't have a preference for. In fact, we become almost aversive to it. We're only collecting the, the stuff that we like in, the, in this very curated, cherry-picked sampling of what's there we create uh, an experience of reality from that. And if we don't constantly uh, undertake challenging the way that we create that, we can easily fall into the belief that what we've created is accurate and that we can then uh, understand our motivations based on our accurate perception of things and assign meaning to other people's uh, actions and create an understanding of their uh, motivations which may or may not be what's actually happening, but because we don't, because the habit of creating the solid sense of self and world is so great that we don't see into the nature of how we make things in each moment. Is that making sense? 
one of the these insights that we want you to have is that you really do assemble things and make them up and that you can make them particularly if you're sighted and you have a visual experience of things uh, can become very compelling particularly when you add to it all of the stuff that reinforces your belief in the version that you've created if you touch if you create a table and you touch the table and it and it's and it has a hardness to it that reinforces your image of it. If you have a cup and you put your hand on the cup and the cup feels hard, and you have a sense of this perception of the cup is actually accurate. Is that making sense? Stacy. Thanks, George. Um, so I'm following you, I think, but then it gets a little bit sticky and tricky I know that if everything is like our perception and the spin that we put on things, then what would you say to like what you said earlier about like growing up in a house with parents that gaslighted you? So are you now saying that that's just your spin and the way that you saw things? Like, did they gaslight you or not? <laughs> that's the complication of gaslighting. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you seeing in this picture? San Pedro. Uh, and what color is it? Blue, white, red, brown. What if I were to say that actually your perception that this is blue is not correct? It's not blue. I would be gaslighting you. It's not blue, it's purple. You can see very clearly you that this picture fucker. has no blue in it. It's all purple. And then when you begin to doubt your perception that that's blue is when the gaslighting is having its effect of undermining your capacity to, to uh, uh, um, trust your perception of things. But do you make this into the new Oakland Bridge and the old Oakland Bridge, which is what this is a picture of in the Bay Area. Do you remember when they put the new Oakland Bridge up next to the old Oakland Bridge? Mm -hmm. Anybody in the Bay? I, I remember that. Are any of you uh, fans of Matisse? Do you have a, did these, um, these little elements here that are actually boats on water or houses on the hillside, what do you think those are? Do they remind you of the way that Matisse paints wallpaper in his paintings? What are the associations? When I first saw this, I thought it was very Matissean because these reminded me of the wallpaper patterns that he painted in, in some of the, the, the paintings that did. They so I like, liked it because it had a Matissean quality in my mind. What does it have in, in your mind? They what look, meaning do you make of it? They look like floating spaceships in a cartoon. <laughs> That's my first impression. It's actually pretty close to mine. Good. It was pretty Good. close to yours, somebody else? Yeah. 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 I was thinking about the Great Gazoo. But, but that, was, that was a little flight of fancy. 
Hmm. What's this? Um, that's not Matisse. That's something else. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Van Gogh. Um, it's the Santa Monica Pier. Yeah. It's the big water next to the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, wow. And it's this. And these trees. That's a beautiful one. This image, I, I really like this image because it looks like the visual field when you don't fixate it. At least this is my experience of what the visual field looks like when you don't uh, fixate it. It's just pixelated dots of color. That's LA. So how do you handle this one now that you have been looking at them, you recognize this tree is the same, but can you carry this line of bushes all the way across and create a wider landscape? Can you add this part of the picture to this part of the picture so that you, you merge them and create a wider image of the two images together? How do you create visual experience? There we go. So, in my experiment, <clears throat> was anybody able to have the experience of Tajapanati? <laughs> the experience of the mind checking, the questioning of what the visual experience that you've created is, whereas the habit energy of just fixating and making things solid. I think I was frequently rotating there. between a couple of fixation possibilities. You know, it's like I would cycle from one uh -huh. to another, like uh, breathing in and out. Kind of. Good. So Thank now you. the exercise is to take that recognition of what that investigation is and begin to make it the habit that you're constantly checking the way that you've created the experience that you're having is an accurate reflection of the experience that's there rather than relying on the mind simply fixating it with the habit of selecting things and making it uh, based on the preferences a, a, an active inquiry really than a passivity of just being in the way that the mind manufactures things moment by moment that's what the awakened mind is doing is constantly evaluating that the way that you're experiencing things is actually the experience that's there. Make sense? So you're not relying on it, uh, not passive in the way that you uh, experience things. Make sense? Well, it Excellent. seems like the ultimate in insecurity. 
Why? If you have to continue to check, um, if, if you're talking about relationships, say, and you have to keep on checking if your friend is uh, reliable, um, I mean, that's kind of a little, little example. Uh, but if you're talking about having to check everything all the time, that's, to me, that's the ultimate in insecurity. You can't, you can't fixate on anything because anything could be different than what you perceive it to be. Correct. That's the groundless ground. Mm -hmm. And how do you come into a place where you can be in equanimity with that, the, the nature of, the true nature of the experience that you have? without it uh, producing a sense of insecurity. Keep practicing. <laughs> practicing what? I want to know the answer to that question. That's such a good question. The heart practices, no? The heart practices? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, if we could have these things called facts, is that you're making it up in the same process, whether you rely on the image or you keep checking it, it's the reliability is unchanged. Is that making sense? In one way, you're accepting the way that it is and operating in a skillful way in relationship to that. And in, in another way, you're relying on a, a full sense of security to feel safe. Whereas the safety in the actively checking comes from the actively checking and the experience of safety in the not checking comes from the not checking. Is that helpful? Mm -hmm. There isn't less of a sense of safety in, in, the, in the checking. And actually what can happen, of course, is that you, you can constantly be goal correcting in relationship to what's happening. Can you be checking for the groundless ground? There's, there's nothing to stand on. Right. So that the creation of a solid world that you think is an accurate representation is again, something that you can't stand on. It's a fabrication. So then what is one checking for when, when it's a fabrication? And it's groundless. It's a groundless ground. You're checking um, on whether yeah. the fabrication that you've just made about the experience of the moment actually resembles the experience of the present moment. It isn't sure. that there isn't a present moment, it's that there isn't an experience. It isn't that there's no meaning. It's that you interpret it based on your conditioning. And you want to evaluate whether or not uh, the conditioning is affecting the way that you understand what's happening. Yeah, we're meaning-making machines. I realize that. But where do we find anything beyond that if we're doing the checking, if it's all fabrication? Like, what are we standing on? You're not standing on anything. We're floating. <laughs> We're floating in our uh, fixating or non-fixating of the experience that we're having. 
So attachment, non-attachment in Buddhist terms means that you attach the particular sensing experience and you fixate it in a particular way. You can non-attach to it, not fixate it, and then reattach and refixate it in a different way. So we move, um, one way I like to say, uh, we move from the stance of this is what's going on because I'm having this experience to this is what I'm experiencing, this is what I think is going on, what do you think is going on? What's your experience of what's happening? So that we're in a constant dialogue with the people that we're in relationship to, uh, exchanging our interpretations of what's actually happening, and in some sense, enriching the experience because their perception of what's happening is going to be different from ours because their conditioning is different from ours. and They're going to be uh, creating a different experience. So if we talk about the, the image of the, the new Oakland Bridge and the old Oakland Bridge, when we got into the specific details of what the elements of the picture were, they were quite different person to person. There wasn't a uniform experience of it. And it's in that, that exchange that we uh, find this richness of intimacy. Is that making sense? Ash? Yeah, I. so what I think is happening... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you let me know if uh, I'm close or wrong. Um, I, I feel like you're presenting a really nuanced thing that I've heard explained in uh, uh, sort of much more brash terms in other, like at other times, maybe even by you. And I'm just like I I, I don't I don't know if that's accurate or is there something like I'm missing. No, I teach this all the time in words. Okay. But I, I often wonder whether people have the experience that I'm talking about or they're just understanding it intellectually. Okay. So what, what I, I wanted yeah. was to see if we could, if I could create a, a, a way that you could have the experience of watching your own mind do this and understanding that that's the experience that, that we really need to uh, reinforce and, and pay attention to. The constant checking of how we create the experience that we're having. Well, you're doing it. Carry on. Don't mind me. <laughs> Christian. George, what you're describing is really interesting because it, it to me, I think I get it, but also when I kind of stay in this groundlessness, this like unfixatedness, it can have a very dissociative flavor to me. Uh-huh. Because I, I think I used to dissociate quite a bit. And so it sometimes when I'm kind of in it too long or like once in a while, if I take like some shrooms or something, I can right. get in very, it can be very scary. Um, can be, certainly. And the I mean, the interesting thing about the shrooms is coming out of that experience and then the, the world sort of coming back together and you piecing it back together and you going, oh, like all of this is kind of made up uh which is the which is something that a high person would say but but is also true so i i guess i'm curious about how to explore it with the with the fear coming up you know or like what the line between dissociation and this kind of experience is if that makes sense maybe that's really particular to my to my experience. 
Well, I think the use of psychedelics is meant to create the insight into the nature that things are not solid, that your version isn't the only version, that you can make more than one version out of the same experience. That's the the whole gateway aspect of psychedelics. The, the problem with psychedelics uh, that you're describing is you can create a fearful experience of that. And because the, the mind is altered, not have control over whether you can come out of the experience or not. When you do it from a meditation uh, perspective, it's much easier to control the, the, the uh, fixating and dissolving, fixating and dissolving, where you can actually get quite good at good, simply uh, fixating everything when you need a sense of solid self and world, when you need to interact on that level. But then when you don't, not fixate it. And just let it be soft is the way that I like to put it. The world is always kind of soft. It never really hardens in the way that that habit energy of fixating things is. So you're always sort of moving in and out of the fixated world into the flowing world. And then you get used to it. Uh, Shinzen used to say, you don't understand this. You acclimatize to it. You get used to the way that this is how it really is, not... Uh, the other, which is was actually not that accurate in terms of how it is. Right. I, I guess, in I mean, in, in my case, I had these experiences dissociating even before any psychedelics. So the disturbing part was that it would be, like, it was because of trauma, but, or that's, I guess, my narrative about it, but the disturbing part is it would be a very um, discontinuous continuous intrusion of this kind of sense of unreality into what was a very fixated world and that was i think the disturbing part and so as i kind of in my meditation practice i think i realized oh i dissociate quite a bit and that's not a great strategy for me you know so like i like to be in a less dissociated world so coming into this kind of practice I guess, how do I approach that less fixated view without without the sort of baggage of previous fear? So, but, but let's also point out that what I'm asking you to do is the opposite of dissociation. I'm asking you to come fully into the experience of the present moment and not fixate it. Whereas in dissociation, we're withdrawing from the sensitivity of the world further and further away from it so that it's quite muted. Uh, you know, you withdraw. The more you the more difficult the present moment is. And if dissociation is the answer to that, you withdraw more and more from it until the experience of it is very uh, indistinct. Here it's the opposite. You're pushing into the experience of the present moment as fully as you can and not uh, fixating so that you allow the mind to play with the elements of the image and form it into a particular view and then form it into a different particular view. Uh, and so that you get into the habit of making the views and questioning them and then remaking them, questioning them and remaking them, so that you're constantly in the experience of the present moment as it's unfolding, rather than uh, what can often happen when you fixate something is that you move out of the experience of the present moment and the stimulus of the present moment into the conditioned experience, and then you're actually responding to what's already happened not to the conditions of the present moment. 
and then they are limited to the expectations of the outcomes that have already happened rather than open to the full range of possibility that exists in the present moment. That making sense. So it's very easy when you solidify the world, you fixate the world to slip out of the experience of the present moment into the, the condition fixation of the world. And then in some sense, replay what's already happened rather than being present uh, for all of the options that are available now. The reason we get into this samsaric repetition because we're not actually in the present moment, we're in the, the, the creation that we've made, the conceptual reality. And we attach all of the limitations of things that we've already experienced to the present moment. And then all of the other possibilities are lost to us because we don't see them represented because we're not in the experience any longer of the present moment, but in in the, the construct that the mind has made. Is that helping or making it worse? It's it's just, uh, it's interesting. I'll have to explore it more. Like, because it makes me, and maybe this is a different concept. It kind of makes me think of when you describe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe it was Shenzhen, or like these kind of no self states, mm -hmm. where you're, like you're not, you're not creating memories in these states, right? Are you like, what is the quality of awareness that you will take out of that moment and be able to reflect on? It depends how how dissolved the self-state is. The, usually memories are associated with the self-state and not, not with the not self-state. So if there's some, but most of the time for householders, it's not a complete absence of self-state and a completely fixated self-state. It's a sort of dimmer rather than an on-off switch is how I like to put it. So you can uh, operate. Um, an example would be you play the violin. Do you ever get so concentrated on the music that you're going that the sense of self completely disappears? Yeah. And then you come to the end of the piece, but you don't have any recall really of each moment of playing the piece because there was no self there to monitor it and remember it. It was simply the activity of doing it. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to get through it, really, if you had had a strong sense of self the whole time. It would get in the right. way. Right, because you'd be a half a second behind. Right. <laughs> you have to get into the flow. So the more that you're in the flow state, the less uh, strong the, the experience a specific experience of it. You may remember the whole thing, but the the individual elements are not so readily rememberable. Um, and you notice the time is quite elastic. Um, many, many minutes can go by in those high concentration flow states and there's no discomfort, there's no anything because the sense of time is gone. And then sometimes it's just, you know, I remember uh, when I first started doing Vipassana meditation, I would sit down and I would white knuckle as long as I could possibly stand to sit there with my eyes closed. And I would open my eyes and three minutes would have gone by. And I could not believe <laughs> that that was possible, that the experience could be so intensely awful and seem like it had gone on forever and it'd only be three minutes. 
Then I would close my eyes and I would white knuckle it as long as I possibly could. And then I would open my eyes and it would be another two minutes. <laughs> the sense of the afflictive self experience was so intense to, to be with for that long. <laughs> now we do four hour sits as a routine on the retreats, right? So everything can change in that way. This is the first time we've actually talked all the way through the meditation period. <laughs> so that's kind of exciting. And it actually uh, was something that had that kind of resonance. Um, anyway, I was, I, I, I think because I'm primarily a visual learner and the, the auditory stuff is harder for me that, that I thought I would try and make something that would be for visual learners. So that's what this book is about, really trying to learn that specific insight by uh, looking at pictures. Um, any questions about all of that? Maybe we'll wrap up a little early. What do you think? You're good not to sit or do you want to sit for 10 minutes? Sit for 10 minutes? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Metaphor self, how's that? We'll end the meditation period there. I'm continuously stunned by how the software filters out the sound of the bell so completely that you don't hear it, even though I rang it really loud. <laughs> Could you relate that to Taj Tajapanati? You can, because I'm having the experience of bashing the bell and I'm looking at all of your faces completely undisturbed. <laughs> Took me a while to figure out that you weren't hearing the bell. <laughs> I just, oh, they're so deeply in meditation that they're just going to continue sitting even though the bell has rung. <clears throat> so thank you for coming. Um, Let's see what's happening. The last uh, day of the, um, oh, what are those two things, Hesh? Yeah, let me know. Um, um, on Zoom, you can change your audio settings to sample for, for full range of audio. It's intended uh -huh. usually for musicians because it captures subtle sounds. You could do that, or you can share audio and just play a clip of a bell. They do that on some retreats. Uh, okay, Happy good to help you with either if you like. So Saturday is the fourth day of the level one series that we're doing. And then we're starting a level two in uh, February, I think on the 16th. We'll do another level one series in March. We're actually going to do uh, a, an EU uh, level one in April. So Central European time uh, for us locally, it will be five in the morning uh, until nine in the morning. Um, but on the, the um, East Coast, it'll be a respectable 8 a.m. <laughs> uh, and then we'll do another level two uh, toward the summer. Uh, all of that stuff is on the website. Uh, I'm planning to go to Utrecht in June and uh, teacher retreat there 
that's also on the we the website if you happen to want to go to Europe for something. Um, so I think that's that's what's coming up in the next uh, few months. Um, I offer this teaching on a Donna basis. Uh, Donna is the Pali word for generosity, but I do that. Hope you'll make a donation if you can. There's a link to do it on the website. It does support me and also the the work that Meta Group is doing. Really appreciate your practice. Thanks for coming, and I hope to see you soon somewhere on the path. <clears throat> Bye.